Share God's word um, here in Acts chapter 3 or Acts chapter 4. Uh, Pastor Corey shared from Acts chapter 3 last week. And Acts chapter 3 was a, a, a cornerstone moment in, in the history of the church. Uh, it's, it's, it's really the, the, the first miracle post-Pentecost where we see um, this man who's been at this temple for, four, for 40 years and, and has seen no signs of healing, has seen no signs of really being able to empower himself. He's been, he's been basically carried to this temple day in and day out so that he may seek alms. And Peter and John affirm this man's dignity, saying, look at me, look at us. And, when, and, and, and they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't turn their gaze away from him like we sometimes do when we're, when we're dealing with people who are struggling, when we are dealing with people without homes, when we're dealing with people without money. Uh, we, we oftentimes want to turn away from them. And, 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 and instead, Peter and Paul says, no, 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 no. Turn to them, look at them, and have them look at you. Affirm their worth in Jesus Christ. And he affirms the worth, and then he moves from affirmation to to empowerment by saying, hey, I don't have any money, but I got something better. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And he moves from rising and walking and empowering this man to evangelism because that's where all of our acts of mercy and that's where all of our empowerment should go to pointing people to Jesus. And he does, and he points people to Jesus. And it's a, it's a joyous moment. It's a moment of celebration. The man is celebrating, boisterous and loud, declaring praises unto God. And then Peter and John get arrested. And that's not the way this story is supposed to go, right? I mean, you're not, after moments like this, you're not supposed to get arrested. And, 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 and when I read this, I kind of think about America. It's, 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 it's you know, we, we, we have kind of enjoyed this, this ability to worship God for so long that, that now that we're seeing just some semblance of being out of favor with the culture I'm wondering if we know what to do with that. We've, we've kind of just been on this high in our culture where I can talk about Jesus and I can talk about what Jesus stands for and I can talk about, you know, all these different things and I can talk about them freely and, and, and nobody's going to call me on it. Nobody's going to challenge me on it. Nobody's going to, you know, uh, say I'm weird because I think this way. Everybody's going everybody's gonna to pat me on the back and pat me on the shoulder. Well, well things are slowly moving away from that particular posture. Now, they're all right with you saying, hey, I'm with Jesus, but when you start laying out what that looks like, some people might be like, I'm not feeling that. I'm I'm not really feeling you either. And we don't know what to do with that. And so we're trying to get quiet, or we're kind of getting quiet. Because we don't know know how to live when Christianity is no longer convenient. But I want to press and pride this morning on, on this convenience that we've been living in. And I want, to, I want to encourage us to live in the light of Christianity when it's inconvenient. Because I think we're going to have to live more and more and more and more like Christianity is no longer convenient. Amen? So let's look at chapter 4 and, and, and let's, let's start in verse 1 where it talks about this opposition that they begin to face. And in verse 1 it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody and they, and, until the next day for it was already evening. 
We see the gospel boldness is, is on display here in this entire chapter, but, but, but it first begins with opposition. Gospel boldness creates opposition. Peter and John have stirred up trouble in this text to the point of greatly annoying the religious leaders, the religious officials, the, 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 the temple captain who is basically the temple police. He's the guy that's hanging out and just looking for disturbances of the peace and any disturbances he has to deal with. And so Peter and John, they seem to be disrupting things, but why are they disrupting things is a, is a good question. There's been this unbelievable divine demonstration of mercy where this man who was lame for 40 years is now healed. So that doesn't seem like a good reason, and I mean, everybody should be happy about that, right? And Peter and John aren't standing at the gates of the temple cursing people as they walk through. So there's no ugly actions going on to create a disturbance worthy of arresting. And, 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 and Peter and John aren't showing any type of unloving attitudes on there as they display this, this, gener- this generous mercy. And yet these men are thrown in jail. And so the question is why? Well, the author answers that question for us in verse 2. It says this, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead or from the dead. See, the Sadducees were the hyper-religious conservatives of the day, and they were strict keepers of the uh, written law, not the oral law. As a matter of fact, they didn't even acknowledge the oral law, so they kept the written law, and they were strict adherents of that law. But they were also strict adherents of the idea that there was no such thing as an afterlife. That there was no resurrection from the dead. That there was no, there, when, the soul, when the body died, the soul died. That's what Sadducees believe. And so because they believe that when the body died, the soul died, and here are these men that are not only pointing to the law and saying, hey, Jesus was the fulfillment of that law, but they're also pointing to the, they're also pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus is going to bring resurrection from the dead. That he himself rose from the dead, and, and if you put your hope and your trust and your faith in him, you too will rise from the dead and have eternal life. Well, that rubbed these guys the wrong way. And you can imagine they would because that's not what they stand on. And they were the keepers of the temple during this particular time in the temple's history. So the offense got these men arrested. They were teaching the gospel. And that's what got them arrested. I need you to hear that. They were teaching the gospel. Nothing more. Nothing less, just the gospel. Christian, you will offend people in this world because the gospel is offensive. The only way that you will not offend people in this world is to stop speaking the gospel. Teaching positions that offend people is not a new phenomenon in Christian faith. Ever since the beginning of the New Testament church, the faith has been offensive. Now, it depends on the culture and time that you live in in terms of in what ways it's offensive. It could be the ideal of a resurrected Savior is offensive. It could be the ideal of a God that punishes sin and requires a just sacrifice for sin that could be offensive. It could be the idea that God holds standards for sin that I myself don't hold 
that could be offensive, standards that pertain to life, standards that pertain to sexuality, standards that pertain to generosity, standards that pertain to humility. It could be the ideal of a God who is establishing a body of believers that transcends ethnicity and transcends nationality, and he flattens it and says they're all the same, they're all equal in his eyes. That could be offensive. There's all sorts of things in the gospel that could be offensive, regardless of the day and the time that you live in. But you can be sure that there is something there that will be offensive. So in order to walk with gospel boldness, we must guard ourselves from the temptation to strip the gospel message of its power by taking cultural offenses from the message in order to make it more palatable for the culture. We must guard against the temptation of of stripping the gospel of its power by taking cultural offenses from the message to make the message more palatable for the culture. Now, with that said, I want to give you a caution because you can go the other side with this and gospel boldness can be, can be connected to personal foolishness. And we must guard ourselves from the temptation of stripping the message of its power in that regard as well. We can strip the message of his power when we add personal offenses to the message in order to make it more exclusive. And this can show up in many kinds of ways. It can be the absence of mercy towards people that are in need of it because we don't want to sacrifice our time, our talent, our treasure. It can be the presence of division in our churches because we don't want to give up our cultural dominance for the sake of unity. It could be the addition of pet peeves into the gospel message making them gospel commandments. Boy, put your suit on. You're supposed to wear a suit. Take your hat off. Or do this, do that. You can't listen to rap music. You got to listen to my music. My rhythm and blues with gospel lyrics. You can't listen to rap with gospel lyrics. You got to listen to my rhythm and blues with gospel lyrics, right? And so, we, and so we, come up, we come up with these pet peeves and we, we make them gospel commandments. And by adding on to the gospel message, we strip the gospel message of his power. So it can happen both ways. See, if we are favored by the culture, let us experience that favor only through the gospel and not because we compromise by taking the offensive parts out. But if we are despised by the culture, then let us experience their despise only through the gospel and not because we gave them unnecessary reasons to hate us. Does that make sense? Verse 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. See, gospel boldness, in order for it to remain bold, it has to see the, it, it, it sees the prize. That's why it remains bold. Pay attention to this crazy collision of things going on in this one moment. They get arrested, but their demonstration of the gospel is so strong that the persecution can't stop the prize from manifesting itself. The church grows from 3,000 to 5,000. And this is to say nothing of the amount of women and children that have come over to the faith. This is the victory that the apostles foresaw in their suffering that in part encouraged them to be bold. See, because the gospel by its very nature creates opposition that we by our very nature want to avoid. So we must be able to look past the opposition in sharing the gospel 
in order to see the reward for sharing the gospel. Do you understand that? The persecution from the gospel yields pain. It yields suffering. It yields ridicule. It yields scorn. But all of that is temporary. But the prize from the gospel yields gain, yields reward, yields salvation to those it reaches, yields joy, and all of that is eternal. We say it all the time here, God does not waste your pain. But instead, he is using it in a million different ways that extend beyond the few ways that you can see him using it. Most of the time when he's using our pain, we can see maybe one or two things that he's doing. Well, maybe he's trying to, you know, teach me how to love this person that I don't really like, which is why he paired me up with him on my job. He might be teaching you that, but he's probably teaching you a million other things besides that that you don't even see and you can't even comprehend He's teaching other people a million other things through what he's showing or what he's doing through you. Just this month, in fact, in, in, in China, there were 44 members of, the, of this church, the Early Rain Covenant Church, that were arrested during, during uh, what they were calling Sabbath raids in China. Of those arrested, 11 of them were children. The youngest, to be, uh, the youngest that was detained and arrested by the police was no more than two months old. A couple of the arrestees were hit in the face and, and assaulted by the police. Some were kept without food. And at some point in time, they were finally released. But this is not one incident, isolated incident. This is going on increasingly in China. Christians being persecuted. 60 million Christians in China continue to, continue to face more and more persecution as China is trying to push back on the Christian influence that's growing in the country. But is it working? And the answer is no, it's not working. The church keeps growing. The kingdom keeps expanding in China. And moments like the, the, the very one that we're about to show you keep happening. You can go ahead. When's the last time you held your Bible like that? Why in the midst of persecution is the church still growing? Why in the midst of persecution does the scriptures appear to be so sweet for them? 
Why in the midst of persecution is Jesus worthy of allegiance instead of abandonment for them? Why is Peter and John still preaching Christ after they were just tossed in prison? It's, it's because their eyes are fixed on the eternal prize, not the temporary persecution. Their eyes are fixed on the sweet fellowship that they share with Jesus from now until eternity. Their eyes are fixed on the joy of being found in God, forgiven, righteous, justified, based on no merit of their own, but based on the merit that is found in Jesus Christ. Their eyes are fixed on the eternity that they will inherit for trusting God even through the storms. Their eyes are fixed on the souls that are being saved through their faithfulness and suffering. Their eyes are fixed more on the prize of the gospel than the persecution from it. See, in order to live with gospel boldness and share the gospel with our neighbors, live unashamed for Christ in our neighborhoods, live out the truth of the gospel in front of a culture that considers it strange or offensive, our focus has to move from what we will lose if we walk in that boldness to what we will miss if we do not. Verses 5 through 10, look there with me. It says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem and with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Gospel boldness requires gospel proclamation. See, the religious rulers, they, they want to know who you're repping right now. How are you doing this? Whose power are you operating in? This is, Peter's, this is Peter and John's moment to back out, right? They can, they, they can say, whose power are you repping, or, 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 or who are you repping, or whose power are you operating in? And Peter and John can be like, well, you know, just God in heaven. God in heaven. You know, we're just here to do God's work. They don't have to, they don't have to name Christ. This is their opportunity to back out. This is their opportunity to soften the blow of persecution that is increasing around them. This is an opportunity to earn a little more favor with the people around them. However, this is not how they chose to respond. Instead, Peter in verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now notice that he says that in the spirit of God, the power of God. In other words, God is supplying boldness for him to speak. But notice what he says. He says, I'll tell you who we repping. And he tells them exactly who they are standing for and exactly who this miracle is being worked through. Here's what Peter and John know that nothing they've been given has been received apart from Christ, and so they can't claim credit for it. No matter how much, no matter how easy it would be to claim credit for it, they can't claim credit for it. Everything that they do, they are doing through Christ. Everything that they've been given, they have received through Christ. So any good action that they are performing and any good thing that they are sharing has to become an opportunity to make Jesus Christ known. You tracking with that? 
gospel boldness seizes gospel opportunities. We call it, we call it at City Light Church, leaving breadcrumbs. We say we leave gospel breadcrumbs. All of your works, all of your acts of mercy are just dropping breadcrumbs along the way, leading people to Jesus to say, hey, this is why we do this. This is why I showed you this love. This is why I forgave you. Even though you say I, 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 you didn't deserve forgiveness, this is why I forgave you. Not because I'm a great guy. I forgave you because Jesus forgave me. Gospel boldness moves us to declare the source of mercy, the source of our goodness, the source of our strength. When asked about where we get all of these things from, if we keep the source of our mercy hidden, if we keep the source of our strength, if we keep the source of our goodness hidden, when given the opportunity to unveil it, then we are robbing the source of the credit. And who's the source? Jesus. And so you're not just a good guy or a good lady. You know just as well as I know that you would have punched somebody in the face had it not been for Jesus. And so it's more than that. And that's where it has to go. That's where you have to lead people. Does that make sense? Peter and John don't just say, oh, we're just powerful people. That's why we're... You know, got that man up and told him to, you know, go walk. We're just powerful like that. We got it like that. No, they begin to declare Jesus and make his name known. Verse 11 and 12, we see the gospel boldness understands the exclusivity and, and the exclusive nature of Jesus. It says in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here we see the boldness is shaped in large part through urgency. The apostles' gospel boldness is shaped by their understanding that salvation can't come through anyone else but Jesus. See, we must speak with gospel boldness because Jesus is the only way. We got to speak like we literally have the only way to salvation because guess what? We literally have the only way to salvation. In other words, hiding the gospel is hiding the only way by which men will be saved. We must speak of him even though, basically Peter is saying, we must speak of him even though you've forsaken him. We must speak of him even though you've rejected him. We must speak of him even though you don't like him. Because eternal salvation is only accomplished through him. Paul asks the following question in his letter to Romans. He says, how can they call on someone whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, in someone that they have never heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming to them? If the Christians aren't declaring it, it's not being heard. Do you carry that urgency into your day? Do you carry the urgency of realizing that you have the message that the world is being saved by. And there's no other message but the one that you have. You carry that urgency into the invitations that you give for people to come and experience life and worship with you at your church service. Do you carry that urgency to say, I need to get this person around 
the, the, the body of Christ and, and, and let them be invited into worship. Let them be invited into this experience because I, I literally have the only way by which salvation is coming. Do you care that urgency? Do you carry that urgency into the love that you share with others and the opportunities that, you, that you've been given through that love to share the gospel with them? Here's the reality, people. People around you are dying every day, every single day. And according to Peter and John, there is only one way for them to experience life after the grave, and that is Jesus Christ. How is that shaping our day-to-day urgency? It's like we're surrounded by burning buildings with a fire hose that we're too scared to turn on because we're worried about how the people are going to feel if we turn it on. What are they going to think about me if I turn on the fire hose? Here's what I know. I can tell you, I can't tell you rather how everyone will respond, but I can tell you that the people that do respond will never forget you. How many, how many of you remember the person that led you to Jesus? How many people remember that? You see what I'm talking about? You'll never forget. They'll never forget you for doing it. They'll never forget you for pulling you, for pulling them out of the flame. Verse 13 and 14, we see that there is boldness, that this boldness is shaping who they are and, and it's literally shaping their very witness. At the heart of their witness, boldness is there and shaping it. The very first thing that these people see when Peter and John speak is their boldness. They saw Peter and John's boldness. But what else did they see? Well, they saw that they were uneducated. They saw that they were common people and they saw that they were, had been with Jesus. These, these weren't scholars. These weren't theologians. These weren't, these weren't special, quote-unquote, people. They were unlearned. They were, they were common. They were fishermen. It doesn't mean God can't use scholars and theologians. The Apostle Paul was one. But it doesn't require that you be a scholar and theologian to be used. Do you understand? Heard one person say that, 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 that God makes his name known through the Ph.D. and the GED. Amen. Come on, somebody. That he can use both, and he does use both all the time. See, some of you are hesitant not because of fear of people. Some of your boldness is not, or some of your lack of boldness is not regarding people. Some of your lack of boldness is fear of preparation. See, your boldness is lost in the shadows of am I smart enough, Right? Your boldness is lost in the shadows of do I know enough? Am I, am I good enough? Do I speak well enough? But pay very close attention to what they say about these men in this chapter, in this verse. It says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, they didn't collect that boldness as a result of education. They didn't collect that boldness as a, relate, as a, re, a result of prestigious background. They realize that these men were men that have been with Jesus and spent time with Jesus. Will they say that of you and me? In our day-to-day encounters, in our day-to-day interactions, when we, when, we, when, we, when we are around them, will they call us people that have been with Jesus? Will they recognize us as people that have been with Jesus? 
Will our, will, our, will our sharing of the gospel bring amazement, not because we're the smartest, not because we know all of it, but just simply because it's coming from the mouth of someone that has been with Jesus. You don't have to be the smartest. You just have to sit at the feet of your Savior. And he will equip you to shine light in dark places. Amen? Look at verses 15. We're almost there. It says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So the council finally establishes their way forward to figure out how to handle, I mean, in order to deal with these, these agitators and these annoyers. We got a way to figure, we got a way to settle this. But first of all, they know they can't deny it because too many people saw it. And it's too evident. This guy's been, this guy's been um, unable to walk for the last 40 years. Everybody knows that. And now he's walking. So we can't deny that this man is walking, that a, that a miracle has taken place. But they can't punish the men in an unjust way either because now all of Jerusalem is watching, right? This miracle has happened. Everybody has seen it take place. Now everybody's looking to see how these officials are going to respond. So they don't have that option either. Here's the option that they come up with. Let's tell the men to stop stirring up trouble by talking about Jesus. We know we can't deny the miracle. We know we can't punish them unjustly. Let's just tell them to stop. And how many of us know that that's probably good enough for a lot of us? Probably good enough for me, probably good enough for you sometimes. Just people just tell you, you know what? It's a little bit too inconvenient. Why don't you just stop talking about them? And we say, okay. No fear of punishment, no fear of death, no fear of injustice. People just say, you talk about Jesus too much. Cincinnati Bengals, okay, you can talk about that as much as you want. But Jesus, talk about Jesus way too much. Verse 18, the, the men say, stop talking about Jesus. We'll let you go, just you can't speak or teach at all in in his name any longer. And this is what Peter and John respond to them and say. They say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. There's nothing easy about that response. It isn't popular. It isn't safe. They don't know what could happen to them if they say what they just said. They speak like this only for one reason, because what they have seen and what they have heard is worth sharing, no matter the cost. When you truly have seen Christ for who he is, when he is more to you than just a character in a story, when he is more to you than just someone you call on to pinch hit for you when you're a little too weak to bat, when he is more to you than than just your grandmama's, Jesus, when we see him as Savior and as Lord of the universe, when when we see him as 
my Savior and my Lord of the universe. When you embrace him as the one who delivered you from the yoke of bondage, the one who placed his spirit in you, and the one who gave you joy unspeakable, and the one who, who returned to his heavenly home to prepare a place for you, and the one that's coming back and to, and, to, and to grab you and grab all your brothers and sisters along with you, when you see him as the one that is sitting on the right-hand side of God making intercession constantly for your sin, when you trip up, when you when you stumble, he is there. When you see him as the one that not only saved you, but the one that is keeping you. You can't help but declare with boldness that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life and only through him are we saved. So many times we encounter stories in the, in, in the New Testament where people come in contact with Jesus and they can't keep still. They have to go and tell somebody about them. Why? Because they can't stop speaking about what they saw and what they heard. See, this is where prayer life comes in. This is where study life comes in. This is where worship life comes in. Because these are opportunities for you to meet with Jesus. And the more you meet with Jesus, the bolder you become. The more of Jesus we experience, the bolder in Jesus we become. And so if we are cowarding back, it's not because we got too much of Jesus, it's because we don't have enough. Are you tracking with that? Run to Jesus. If you're looking for boldness, run to the Savior. Because the more you sit with him, the more you got to tell somebody else about him. Lastly, gospel boldness is sustained and strengthened through prayer. So what's interesting is that when, when they hear what transpired, they don't immediately run and plan how to hide. You know, the, 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 the disciples, they leave, or the apostles, they, they, they're let go by the officials, and they go back to the church family. And they tell them everything that happened. And the church family doesn't say, oh, man, we got to get out of here, <laughs> right? Let's go hide somewhere. That's not, that's not their first thought. Their first thought isn't to run and take cover. They don't start discussing how they need to pipe down on their evangelism. They don't start discussing how they need to pipe down on talking about Jesus. This is what they do. This is what they do. They pray. They pray. See, boldness won't be kept and sustained without prayer. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed by the odds that are stacked against us in this life. And that, and, that, and, that, and that takes the edge off of our boldness. Sometimes we can crave the approval of this culture and the people within it so much that that takes the edge off of our boldness. Sometimes we can lose hope and feel like we are wasting our time and risking too much to proclaim Jesus. And that can take the edge off our, of our boldness. So what do we do during those times? Family of God, we pray. We petition the throne of grace. We seek help from God. But, but here's another question. What do they pray? They pray 
a prayer of adoration and acknowledgement. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, and along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These words communicate one simple thing. God, you control everything. The kings of this world are under your control. The doubters and the skeptics and the haters are under your control. The ones that are plotting our demise are under your control. The religious officials that are trying to stop us from proclaiming you, they are under your control. And to further establish it, they point to Jesus. They say, Jesus had the governing officials against him. Jesus had the unbelieving Gentiles against him. Jesus had the religious people of Israel against him. Everyone was against Jesus. He died because everyone was against him. He hung on the cross because everyone was against him. But then they say this. What was he doing in all of that? What were they doing in all of that? Verse 28, he said, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They crucified him not because they were outside of God's control. They crucified him precisely because they were within it. They could not move outside of God. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, God said that he loved the world so much that he was going to send his only son to die for the world. But what does God do? God takes the evil of the world and uses it to crucify his son. And in so doing, he is using it, the evil of the world. He literally uses it to accomplish the purpose of saving the world. And so there is not a chess move that can be made in this world without God mastering that move. Everything that is going on in this world, he is leveraging and using for his purpose. What does that tell you about boldness? It tells you that you can operate with gospel boldness because you know that there is no opposition that is operating outside of God's reach. That you can move in accordance to his plan. You can move in accordance to that that everything going on, rather, is moving in accordance to his plan and moving in accordance to his purpose. They cannot stop what God has started. And so you can go carefree and share his message with the world, knowing that he is doing exactly what he needs to do to bring about his expected end. And so it's that in mind that they pray at the end. And they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, your hand, not ours, you hear that? Can't take credit for it. It's yours. This is you doing it. While you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They say, Lord, you control everything. And so they're ranting and raving and they're threatening us and they're telling us we're going to jail and they're telling us they're going to kill us. And and some of us are going to even die for this faith. But Lord, man, you controlling it all. And so grant us, your servants, the boldness to go and to speak and to tell people about Jesus. Grant us the power 
to go and to proclaim your name. Grant us the ability to perform divine acts of mercy to point people back to you. And folks, that ain't just their prayer. That's our prayer. That's your prayer. That's my prayer. This week and, 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 and from here on out, we should be praying, Lord, grant me the boldness to be the light that I'm supposed to be in this world. Grant me the boldness to be the ambassador that I'm supposed to be in this world. Grant me the boldness to be the disciple maker that I'm supposed to be in this world. Grant me the strength to perform the divine acts of mercy that you have set aside and purpose for me to do, to call attention back to you. Grant me the strength to be the servant that you have called me to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.